the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me on Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions today, of course, being Tough Question Tuesday. It's Mardi Gras Tuesday, but it's also Tough Question Tuesday. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Shauna, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for taking my call. You Um, are welcome. Didn't realize it was Tough Tuesday, but... Your comment at the beginning of the program about the Roman pastor, uh, priest, excuse me, um, doing the... Exorcism. Um, yes. Um, Isn't that you, fascinating? I, it, well, that not so much, because the Catholic Church is going to do the Catholic Church. Right. But you had said something that I have many questions on, and it's the supernatural. Right. Um, and specifically, um, many examples, um, so I'm going to try to speed it up. Um, there is a book, I believe it's Daniel, where he prays, and it was many, many, many days before he received help. Right. And it was my understanding it was because it had to go through more than one heaven. And then there's some gray area in my own thinking about more than one heaven. I was told that Satan has a kingdom, has a hierarchy, um, and when Daniel's prayer took so long, it's because they had the angels had to fight Satan's angels to fulfill the prayer. So there's that, and then also side note, and we don't have to get to all of it because I'll call tomorrow, next week, whenever. Um, but I like that it's tough to well, say because no, are no, tough no. Questions. And I guess there's there's so, <laughs> let me just sort of give a broad overview to what you're talking about. The the, the and that is, let's start with: Are there supernatural forces at work? Yes. And I think that yeah. the, the right answer is yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I, I I would think about is you made reference to Daniel chapter ten, and um, it's this is Daniel receives this vision about a troubling war, and he goes into a three week period of mourning and fasting and prayer. In other words, it isn't just mourning and fasting and prayer. He receives a vision about this catastrophic event that's about to unfold. And so God sends a messenger in a vision, but the messenger's delayed for about three weeks, as as he explains to Daniel. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So to your point, are there supernatural forces? Yes. Are they according to what the Bible says, in heavenly places. That just means that it's in the realm of the supernatural. In other words, we're living in a world that's different from the world that angelic beings occupy. So the way that I would think about it isn't that there are multiple heavens, but rather there are multiple dimensions, if you will. There's a coexisting all at the same time. Right, right. So there is this place where the righteous 
dead are, and there's the place where the unrighteous dead are, and there's this place where demonic and angelic beings interact with one another. Yeah. And, and so if you take the passage at face value, it says, you know, Michael says uh, that he came to help me because I was detained by the king of Persia. Now, apparently this is a supernatural entity that either advocates or somehow um, I'm going to use the word reinforce or protect. Now, Michael is seen as that angel who protects Israel. Are are there supernatural beings that have some sort of geographic um, specification? And I think that it might be true, because the angel speaking to Daniel says, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what's written in the book of truth. Oh, it's so good. You and know, then it says, so no one supports uh, <laughs> me against them except Michael, your prince. Now, again, taken at face value, it would seem that the prince of Persia is a fallen angel who in some sense has some sort of dignity or authority or influence. So so there is this supernatural spiritual warfare that is taking place. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and forces of darkness. So again, to your point about that passage in in Daniel, we know from history that Greece would be the next world power after Persia, and that Greece would dominate Israel for a time. And then, of course, the Romans are going to dominate during the time of Jesus. Now, again, as the as the world unfolds and and the and the future some the present sort of slips into the future if you will and we go how how one of the things that you probably already recognize is how things can change so completely in a matter of moments i mean think about yeah. covid what it yeah. did to the whole world now think yeah. about what's happening right now and yeah. then in Ephesians 6:12 our struggles not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against mm-hmm. the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So according to Paul the battle is real. This isn't yeah. a joke. This this is a real battle. Now again yeah. just like the Ukrainians are facing tanks and rockets and missiles and helicopters. Mhm. Here's yeah. one of the things I just want to throw out for your consideration, okay? Angelic beings can't be killed, even bad, evil Correct. ones. In other Correct. words, these are well, eternal. They don't have a body. They're, well, yeah, they're, they're eternal creatures. Yes, correct. And if they do have a body, it's a kind of a body that seems to not die. In other words, yes. you, you, Michael can't chop off the evil angel's head and game over. That's not yeah. how it works. Just like Satan is a, is an eternal being who is – this is why I believe hell is a real place. The, that's why the Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels, that there has to be a place of quarantine for this particular demonic being. Now, what's interesting, too um, – 
in Persia, the Persia's fate was tied to the physical Persian Empire. We don't know if his job, this demonic being, was to keep Persia in a place of dominance. Now, again, if we think about that in this supernatural realm, is it possible that the global dominance is about to shift right at this very yeah. moment? Is very that possible? possible? Is it well, possible? The, the, the Lord's that, Prayer test tells us well, what happens on in heaven will happen on earth. And that's going to mean a shift. Yes, it's going to mean a shift. <laughs> so, so I wish I could tell you, well, does that mean that Russia is going to expand its power? And does that um, mean that Europe is going to shrink in power? Or does this well, haven't mean... Haven't we already seen that, you know? I mean, everything is based on so much in Israel. And well, in the end, the message is always the same, to repent. Well, Even way back, just repent, repent, repent. And then in the end, you just said it to the other caller, God is sovereign and his plan will prevail. Right. Um, and it will, by the way. But it's, oh, it so will. But I, my brain loves to dive deep into the Bible. And so I had another, and I don't want to take up too much of your time because I so appreciate everything hey, well, that you thank, do. Th- thank um, you for your call. Well, I have a, just a little question, and it's more of a my brain's weirdness. Um, the Bible very much says at the end, when everything is said and done, that there will be a thousand years. Yeah, that's the what millennial. After, yes, that's the what millennial. After a thousand years, because my the, mind goes eternity. Okay, the, the quick, and the quick answer break. is the eternal state. Call me back, and we'll talk okay. about the eternal Another state. Day. Yeah. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on this Tough Question Tuesday, inviting you to call 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. So many tough questions. Let's see who's up. Um, is it John? Um, hey. John. Hi. Hi. How can uh, I help you? Green caller question, six, Matthew 6.25. Okay. What would so you like? We've talking a lot about uh, Ukraine lately. Um, and you understand everyone is very worried about World War Three. Yeah, and I think for good reason, because it was Albert Einstein who says, he, he goes, I can't tell you you know, what people will fight with in World War Three, he goes, but I can tell you what they'll fight with in World War Four: sticks and stones, because we're talking about a nuclear holocaust that will just, that will leave an, in- so the big question becomes, are we looking at a limited thermonuclear war or a conventional war or a conventional war that's fought on a limited basis? But yeah, you're right. What do we do about the unthinkable? Well, I did mention the verse. Yeah, you said Matthew colors. chapter six twenty five. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. But rather, what you will or what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. This is part of that very famous passage of Scripture um, that's the Sermon on the Mount. And so in verse 25, he says, therefore, 
and it suggests that now he's going to apply the principles that he talked about earlier. Earlier, he talked about the believer in wealth, and then he talked about the basic principle in verses 19 through 24, that that there are several reasons why living for material things is foolish, because material things don't last. And and then he talks about evil in verse 23, meaning the opposite of that, which is simple. It suggests a sinful outlook. And in verse 24, Jesus clearly tells us that we can't look in two directions at the same time. We can't serve two masters. We can't live for God and the accumulation of material wealth. The Bible doesn't condemn the possession of wealth, but it does warn against the love of money and obviously the wrong use of money. And then it says, therefore, he's going to apply that principle. He shows that worrying about material things is stupid. It's foolish. Because guess what it accomplishes? Nothing. And then he reminds us to have our values straight. Life is more than food and clothing. Now, you might say, well, what if I don't have any food? And what if I don't have any clothing? Are there people right at this very moment who are literally suffering deprivation of food? I think that the answer is yes. And and you look out in the news and you see 600,000 people in the last five days move out of Ukraine into Poland, into Moldova, into Estonia, in, in, you know, into the, the, the neighboring area of Ukraine. But here's the point. Jesus is poor, but he's happy and peaceful. Paul said he was poor, but he desired to make people rich, not not with money, but in spiritual things. So he tells us to distinguish between true riches, which are spiritual, and uncertain riches, which are material. Then he points to the care of nature, flowers, grass, birds, and stuff like that. The point being that the Father knows that you're of value and that God's going to take care of you. And so imagine you're living in a world where There's two kinds of ways of people perceiving you, those who think you are valuable and those who could care less about you. And so you probably see the world that way in in this sense. Are there people that you deeply care about? And are there people course, that you, you, you care less about? Not, not because you wish them ill will, but do you have the mental and the emotional energy to care about everybody the same way? That's a lot of work. That's, that's a lot of work, isn't it? How much work is it to just simply care about the people that God's placed in your life? That's a lot of work in and of itself. <laughs> There's people that are wandering into my life. That are wandering into your life? Well, here's the, I'll give you the good news. Well, uh, my point was, okay, uh, there's Ukraine, okay? There's a threat of World War III. Everyone's worried about, well, especially Ukraine. You're in Ukraine, okay? Uh, You got a family. Some of your family relies on the medical resources, oxygen, dialysis, right. things like that. Right. And you got to leave them because war has come on the land. And uh, you're looking back on 
the Bible and what it said, you're trying to make sense of it. And of course, the entire world now is thinking the same thing. What happens if everything goes wrong? What am I going to do? Right. I, I guess it's just really hard to accept a lot of the things that Jesus said. Especially if one of the things that Jesus said was there's a sovereign God and that the that the world that he's prophesied is going to unfold and it's going to actually happen. So that's the bit, that's the million dollar question. And I get it. I I've devoted my whole life to studying this book, this Bible and what it says, not just about the past and, and the present, but about the future. I, 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 I believe that about you. You've so definitely given a very great thought to all this much more than most of us. Yeah, I, I've given a great deal of thought to what is going to happen. And again, I sort of hinted at it when I when I talked about what are we to do and how are we supposed to pray I'm talking about the verse that I cited. Give no thought for your life. What? No pension? No retirement? No survival supplies? Well, I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think. I, I don't think that he's he's s- saying that in the sense of that you can't make an appropriate um, accommodation for certain things because he will later say to his disciples, "Hey, remember I said to you before, uh, you know." Take two cloaks, but forget about the sword. But now I'm telling you, sell one of your cloaks and buy a sword. And so, in in the in the passage that you're talking about, um, I'm not saying I understand it. That's why I'm calling you. Right. When when he says, "Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life," and then he clarifies what he means by that what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or about your body or what you're going to put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He's basically talking about the fact, not that you don't care about your life, but rather that you care about your life in the way that God has asked you to care about your life. In other words, when he says, don't worry because it's foolish, don't, worry because I've got this in hand. And if you ask and answer the question, if you take all of the stuff that you worry about, what does the worry accomplish? What mental, emotional, physical benefit does it accomplish? But well, when he I says, guess worrying makes you think about everything. Yeah, but so, so here's the biblical. Yeah, so the biblical solution, the biblical solution, is to trust. And if you hold on, I'll 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 talk specifically about the passage that you asked about. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, and we're talking with John. And the passage that you were um, talking about in Matthew chapter 6, about 
not worrying. Do not worry about your life. So Jesus doesn't, Jesus says, don't worry, but it doesn't mean do not worry about anything in your life. Not anything. Is that even possible? And so, again, we have to ask and answer the question, what, what are you, what is worry inviting you to do? And is it different from trusting? And so, again, worrying, he's going to go through a laundry list about not, not worrying about what's happening, spending, you know, and in any time worrying, according to Jesus, is a waste of life or a waste of time. He says in verse 31, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He's basically making the argument that it's useless and pointless and worthless. So we have to ask ourselves, what is that? It's mental distress over about the possibilities about what's going to happen in the future. So worry is a state of mind. It's a way of thinking. It's a mental habit. But so to your point, does that mean that you don't have a job or you don't pay the bills or you don't um, work? No, that that's actually not that because the Bible elsewhere says if you don't work, you don't eat. And so we have to ask and answer the question, what does Jesus mean by that? And I think that what he means by that is that is the human preoccupation that something may or may not happen and you don't have any control over it. Now, there are certain things that you do have control over, and there are certain things that you don't have any control over. The psalmist said, my thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. And Jesus in Mark 4.19 says, the worries of this life, they come in, they choke the word, making it unfruitful. So apparently there is something that worry does. It questions and it even chokes what God has said about giving us information about any given subject. So that word in the Greek New Testament in that passage that you just cited is the Greek word miramamno, marimno. It means to be distracted. It literally means to have a divided mind. In other words, the meaning of the word is a mind that's going in different directions. And so in James 1.8, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all that they do. And so the Bible says, no, um, you, you have permission to not do that. And it says in, in Isaiah 26.3, you'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And so again, is it normal and human to care about having a place to stay and food to eat and water to drink. I think that that is normal. But I think 
that what the Bible is inviting us to do is that we could either focus on on what we don't have any control over or we can focus on trusting the Lord. And so to me, it's impossible to stop worrying unless you replace it with something far more important like faith. And Jesus literally illustrates that in that passage as you continue reading. And also in Luke chapter 12, where he says in a parallel passage, he says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? The, so the idea being, you have an option. You can trust him. Do you think um, on that concept, if we have faith in God, somehow it obligates God to answer us in our faith? I think that it does obligate God in, in, in a real sense. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the difference is between fear and worry? That's a tough question. Well, let me help you out and just let's ponder it for a second. If fear is an emotional reaction to a present danger... I'm going to suggest to you that worry is mental distress over something that may or may not happen in the future. So if we, if we boil down fear to its basic element, the opposite of, of love isn't hate, it's fear. And let me tell you why I think that's true. Jesus said, greater love had no man than this, that he's willing to lay down his life for a friend. In other words, the, the essence of love is sacrifice. It's a willingness to do what's in the best interest of somebody else, even if you suffer. And Jesus, of course, models that. So fear is loss. Fear is an emotional reaction to a perceived danger. I could lose my life. I could lose my job. I could lose my wife. I could fill in the blank. I could lose it. And so the Bible says perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. So what does that mean? In other words, love is, is a willingness in part to say, you know what? I'm prepared to do without that. If that's what God, see, this is the ultimate challenge and it is a challenge. Imagine praying a prayer like this. I'm willing to have whatever God wants me to have. And I'm willing to not have whatever God doesn't want me to have. I agree with that. Well, guess what? If you pray that prayer and you mean it, then I think what happens is fear and worry. You you say, you know what? I've, I've already opted out of fear and worry because I prayed this prayer. I, I'm, I'm willing to have whatever he wants me to have, and I'm willing to not have whatever he doesn't want me to have. Well, you know what? You could you could lose that. I understand that. And and uh, it comes with the territory. 
Well, if you if you're trusting God, then there's going to be a constant invitation for you to trust yourself or to trust the government or fill in the blank. And I'm not saying that the government doesn't have obligations to its citizens. And I'm not even saying that husbands don't have obligations to their wives or wives to their husbands or children to their parents. I'm saying that we have to put this in a perspective that makes biblical sense. When uh, Jesus was about to die, it seemed like he felt fear. He, he didn't want to suffer, you know. Well, who does want to suffer? But I don't think it was the suffering that he was most concerned about. I think it was the separation from his father. So the way that I would even think about it is Jesus is going to suffer more than anyone has ever suffered in this sense, because he is pure and everybody else is impure. You talk about oppression and injustice. Jesus is the poster child for injustice. But throughout it all, he's going to trust the Lord. He's going to accomplish the mission and he's going to come back to life. Hey, thank you for your call. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. There, there's so many amazing other stories that are coming out of this crazy Russian-Ukrainian uh, situation. And again, um, there's reoccurring stories how Ukrainian forces are are still controlling the capital and that other major cities, despite fierce fighting over the weekend, have managed to hold on. And you keep, there's little glimpses of video that's coming out of the Ukraine of Christians meeting, um, praying, lifting their hands, crying out to God and the world. And of course, Christians around the world are stepping up to deliver much-needed humanitarian aid to civilians both in Ukraine and Russia, for that matter. And a delegation of Israeli medics is on the ground in Moldova helping Ukrainian refugees. So lots going on. And with with the last caller, it just reminded me, you know, I asked that question about what's the difference between fear and worry and again, as you as you think about these important issues and you talk about them and you ask and answer the question about what the Lord wants us to do. And remember, um, Jesus said, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Um, Jesus said that the worries of life come in and choke out the word and make it unfruitful. And I asked the question about, you know, what's the difference between fear and worry? And of course, fear is an emotional reaction to something that looks like it's dangerous or that it could hurt you or that it's going to result in loss. But worry is mental distress over a possible, maybe even an undesired future. 
So fear focuses on present events and is energizing when it propels a person to action in a way that removes or lessens the very real danger. So is it appropriate to have an appropriate fear in the sense of concern that a person quite against your will can hurt you? I don't know if you've ever had a gun pointed at you, but I have. I've had a gun pointed right at me and a person threatening me, saying, if you do such and such, I'm going to kill you. Now, again, is it appropriate to have fear? I think so. But there's sometimes other kinds of emotions, like anger, that someone has the ability to so change your life by just simply squeezing a trigger. And so there's a kind of fear and anger that's rising up all over the world as more and more people say, you know, it doesn't seem right that one person, one person acting on his own without any accountability whatsoever can push a button and everybody's life is changed everywhere because of a nuclear exchange. So fear focuses on present events and is energizing, again, when it propels us to do something different, to remove what's causing the fear or to somehow reduce it. But worry is distracting and can lead to distress and despair and even depression and anxiety. So worry is unproductive because it projects problems into an unknown future that may or may not take place. Someone once said, fear sees a threat. Worry imagines one. Do you understand the difference? Fear sees a threat. Worry imagines one. The Ukrainian people, when you see a caravan that's 30 kilometers, now 40 kilometers long, filled with with troops, missiles, and tanks, has every reason to fear. Worry imagines the threat. So if we ask and we answer the question, are there real threats and are there imaginary ones? What's interesting about that question and the answer is the Lord offers these comforting words when we are overwhelmed with worry. In Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, call on me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you and you will honor me. So imagine that passage, call on me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you and you'll honor me. God has a plan. So how do you know? How do you know? How do you know if you're dealing with worry or anxiety? And of course, people often use those words, worry and anxiety interchangeably. But like I said, there's a couple of differences. Worry is typically understood to be a mental process where you keep thinking about what if, you know, what if this happens? What if 
um, Ukraine really does topple? What if there's a limited nuclear war? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my savings? What if I don't have enough money in retirement? What if I fail? What if I fill in the blank? What if I, I can't meet expectations? What if I have a bad experience? What if, and then fill in the blank. And so the way that I would think about it is anxiety is a present physiological feeling. Usually it's an emotional response to something current or possible whether real or perceived, anxiety becomes problematic when it's excessive or persistent. And by excessive, I mean obsessive, where that's your world. That's what you, that's what you think about when you wake up in the morning. That's what you think about throughout the day. That's what you think about um, when you go to bed at night. So what's the relationship between stress and worry? Stress and worry are closely related, but they're not the same. Stress is a response to a challenge. My doctor once said to me, the only person who's completely stress-free is a dead person. So stress is the normal amount of tension that's generated by being alive. But stress can be exacerbated by events that make you feel nervous or angry or frustrated. But not all stress is bad. Again, in Mardi Gras, when you're a kid, you know, you anticipate getting beads or, or they were like Mardi Gras tokens type of thing. Kids at Christmas time, there's stress. For a student, there's a kind of a moderate stress if you have to take an exam, or maybe for some people, it's not a, a moderate kind of stress. For, for some people, it might be an overwhelming um, stress. But worry is a reaction to stress. If a student thinks he or she can handle a particular challenge, like giving a speech, it adds pressure. So there's a difference between being worried and afraid. Worry is like in a spiral. Stressful elements are churning around in your mind, making it difficult, if not impossible, to sort things out. And so guess what? There are biblical solutions to all of these things. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, it says, Let me teach you, Jesus said, let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Hey, you know what? Maybe it's time to open your Bible. Maybe it's time to let Jesus teach you. Go back to that Bible. Open it up. Read it. Let him instruct you. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully we'll have some fun things to do together. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.